0: Talk. My name is Mark Paul. My co-host Justin Baker here with me, and uh, obviously a, a massive turnaround for the Tampa Bay Lightning uh, coming back, tying the series at two with the Washington Capitals and the Vegas Golden Knights. Of course, they're set to go tonight, so uh, we're not going to hit too much on that, just because that game is is about to happen, and you'll know the result before we will. It's about six p.m. on Friday, so uh, we're gonna we'll mainly focus on a little bit on the capitals lightning series and then what we're going to do mainly on the show is we're going to go through the bottom five teams uh, or well i guess the top five picks um in the draft and talk about those teams that own those picks what they need to do here in the off season and then we'll, we'll move to six through ten on our next show and so on and so forth uh until we get to number 31 so i guess either we're going to do a Twenty-six through thirty-one, or we're we going to do twenty-six through thirty, and then just a show on the Stanley Cup champions. So we'll we'll see uh, what we end up doing at the end there. Justin, welcome into the show, and uh, let's get your thoughts on Game Four between the Washington Capitals and the Tampa Bay Lightning.
1: Yeah, I'm a little little upset. First off, let me just say because I touted on uh, on Twitter that you were going to be wrong about picking. Tampa Bay to win, regardless of Backstrom being in or not, and uh, lo and behold, I have to eat my words because it didn't really matter. Tampa took this one, anyways.
0: I like when I'm right. It happens (laughs) very seldomly, but when I am right, I you know I prefer to just let it hang out there. Uh, Yeah, it's it's a good feeling. That it is. Uh, I think what you saw was a team that was determined to win. I mean, yeah, Washington. I, I wouldn't disagree. Of course, Washington scores that first goal. Uh, they start to claw back a little bit. And they they tie it up, and and Tampa just didn't look like they were letting up. It was as if Washington was playing, and Tampa Bay just was at a different level when they needed to be. Uh, so was Vasilevsky. I thought that Holtby played well, but obviously, uh, you know, they just they just were able to create. More opportunities for themselves to score. I think, particularly on that Kalorn goal, uh, where yeah, he kind of gets a a little bit of a fortunate way through his pad through Holtby's pads in his five hole. But I mean, it was created by going to the net, doing the doing the things that you're supposed to do, and that to me was just more what Tampa was doing. Whereas Washington was kind of playing from the perimeter. They they were taking good quality shots. But I think Vasilevsky was able to see most of them. Uh, I think it was your pretty stereotypical, let's drive the net, let's do the right things as opposed to the Capitals, that it was almost like this was the old Capitals, just trying to shoot from the exterior and, you know, utilize their snipers to be able to produce some offense. And uh, I mean, I, you're seeing again what works, and it's the, the way the Lightning were playing.
1: Yeah, and it, it wasn't from a lack of effort from a guy like, you know, Ovechkin and Kuznetsov, but I agree with you. I think uh, you know Vasilevsky definitely had the better game of the two goaltenders, um, and that that third goal by And I just, as a goaltender, I don't like that Holpi gave that one up. That I think that that one is one he is definitely going to want to have back. He's going to shake his head about, and I think uh, you know that that potentially could be some sort of driving force for him in this next game here. And I think when you talk about you know Washington, you look at their. Their defense, they're in their own zone and letting Kaloran get to the net so easily. They had three guys standing around watching What's his face behind the net, just move the puck right back out in front, and everybody's standing around, not paying attention to Kaloran, sneaking in there.
0: Yeah, Washington was giving the puck away several times in that game, whether it resulted in a goal or not. The first goal uh, was a terrible backhanded, no-looker giveaway in the slot. I mean, mean, Tampa made a nice play on it, a nice little tic-tac-toe, but uh, it's just – you can't be making those types of mistakes in the playoffs if you expect to win. And it was a simple play. All he had to do is just, I mean, he had the boards to his forehand, fire it out of the zone if you don't know where to go. And you're looking to make a miracle pass, and it's just not the way to play in the in the finals, especially uh, against a team like Tampa Bay, who often capitalizes when you screw up that way. So, yeah, I think that series, honestly tied 2-2, two to two, I think is about – where I expected this series to be I mean it's it's not a big shocker that it's two two but it's just the way that it all panned out up to nothing and then and then coming back the road team winning all four games so the way they've done it has been impressive but I, I don't think that where we sit is necessarily out of you know out of, out of left field uh, these I mean would it surprise anybody if Tampa Bay just went and won the next two as well did the no, same thing they did to Bo- to Boston and win four straight just needed a cu- needed a game or two to get their bearings on straight
1: yeah they're they're definitely more incapable with that lineup for sure and Stamkos now i think he's got what four games in a row with a goal in the power play so uh yeah i mean you look at that too and you know early on when the game was still 2 to 2 uh washington had not capitalized on either of their power i, I think they had a total of they went over four by the time it was 2 to 2 and uh, Washington had managed to sink theirs, so if you're Washington, you need to you know get better on special teams and tighten up that D.
0: And it's and it's interesting because Washington has been historically and in these playoffs very effective on the power play. So uh, I think if if Washington wins this series, it's because of their power play. If they lose this series, it's probably because of their power play. So yeah, I, I think that we'll uh, obviously see what happens there, but. I think as we expected, sure, Washington's going to give a good push, but ultimately Tampa Bay and their depth, even with or without Backstrom, I, I, I just think that Tampa Bay is the superior team. And, I, I mean, whoever wins in the Western Conference. But, I mean, I think from a pure hockey skill level standpoint, I'd love to see Winnipeg and Tampa Bay go head to head because I think truly those are the, it's very rare that you get the two best teams in each conference playing each other. And I I truly believe those are the two best teams in each conference. Now, whether or not they get Winnipeg gets past Vegas, they're going to have to come back just like Tampa did. So we'll find out tonight. You'll, you'll obviously know the answer to that. Uh, But I mean, that would be a pretty epic series, but the thing is that so would Vegas and, and Tampa. Although, yeah. a very strange final indeed. I don't know, I would wonder if there's ever been a final with two teams so far south.
1: Yeah, that would be... Uh...
0: Because when, when Tampa Bay, I guess when Tampa Bay played in the finals in 2004, they played uh, Calgary, Calgary, right? So Yeah. Uh, and when Carolina played in the finals the first time they played Detroit and the second time they played Edmonton. So those are, I, I think Anaheim played Ottawa, right. And, uh, San Jose played Pittsburgh. So yeah, I mean, every, every team and, and LA played what, uh, New Jersey, New Jersey. Yep. And who was the other team that they played the Rangers? So yep. yeah, this, th- it would be the two most, two southernmost teams to play each other in the final if, uh, if that happens. So you heard that here first. Because I just thought yeah. about it. <laughs>
1: <laughs> that would be interesting. And, you know, someone pointed out the other day I saw on Twitter, and I got a, I got a nice chuckle out of this, and I, I don't know if you have any thought on this. I mean, you could just pass it off and we can move on to the next topic. But uh, someone was talking about Pittsburgh, you know, being Washington's Achilles heel. And then, you know, someone said, you know, the reason they got over the hump this year wasn't because Pittsburgh's always been their Achilles heel, but because Mark andre Fleury has been there they're a little thorn in their side uh-huh. so they uh they might
0: face him in the final right. yeah <laughs> very true that's a that's a great thought um and the ironic thing is that neither one of them might not make it but i right. that would be that that's a great storyline too i guess you know in all this i was thinking well i think i guess the best storyline is probably uh washington doesn't have a good storyline but that is a great that's a that's a good vegas washington storyline i like it uh well, let's move on from that series, and we'll have lots more time to talk about that series next week. Let's uh, let's do our picks one through five in the draft. We're not necessarily going to focus in on who they should take, although that will definitely be a part of the conversation. Uh, as we move through this and, and get deeper into the draft, uh, I, I mean, it's obviously more difficult to pinpoint exactly who they want in particular, But we know their needs and we know what they'll be looking for. And so so we'll kind of draw off that. So obviously the first pick overall is the Buffalo Sabres. So let's start with the Buffalo Sabres. Um, Just to kind of give you a little rundown on the Sabres, they uh, obviously finished last in the league. They won the draft lottery. So they have the number one overall pick. They have the number 32 pick. And then number 94 and number 115 that's their picks in the first four rounds. They do have later picks. We'll just f- focus on the first four rounds because uh, the later rounds are a little less consequential. Uh, they have a few UFAs that are of significance. I'd say Chad Johnson's probably their most significant free agent, uh, along with Josh Georges, who uh, his contracts finally run out after signing there from the Montreal Canadiens. They have Benoit Pouliot, Jordan Nolan, Jacob Jefferson, and uh, Justin Folk, all UFAs. They're going to need to re-sign Sam Reinhart, Scott Wilson, Victor Antipin, and of course Robin Laner. Uh, all of which are RFAs. So this team has been bad for a while, and <laughs> they they took I mean they took Reinhart the 2014 second overall pick. They took Ekblad with the first overall pick in 2015. This team has been oh, struggling for a long time. They really need every position, right? Yeah, that's that's more than fair to say. <laughs> I, I think out of any team in the National Hockey League, this is the team where you go, oh my gosh! Like they have, I mean, they have their number one center. At, at least that's solved, right? Like that may be the most difficult position to find a player at is that number one center position, and they yeah. do they do have that. When I when I think of teams like Vancouver, they don't have that number one center anymore. Uh, I, other, you go down the list, Arizona, they don't really have that number one center. They have good pieces elsewhere, but that number one center position is really lacking. And so they are ahead of the curve in that pos- in that position because they do have Ryan O'Reilly and then they have Jack uh, Jack Eichel. So they're, they're in a good position center-wise. Uh, of course, they need depth and so still can use centers. They desperately need defense. And their wingers, uh, well, they were okay and they had uh they had a Vander Kane now that he's gone their their even their winger position is pretty meh so where do you see what do you see this team doing aside from we all know they're going to take Rasmus Dahlin aside from some weird event but everybody's expecting that and so we're not going to deviate from that idea but what do the sabers do at this draft what can they do to improve their team cuz this team can't finish last again
1: no no there's uh, there's no question about that i think Honestly, you know, you, you heard it from a guy like Ryan O'Reilly at the end of the year. He 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 spoke about that that losing culture that's kind of infected this locker room. I think, and um, you know, it's quite easy to see that the way these guys play and the way the team kind of carries themselves. Um, <clears throat> you know, I think the biggest question for me in this offseason, uh, of course, like we mentioned, you know, they're going to take Rasmus Dahlin number one overall. There's no question about that. And is whether or not you and I are, you know the experts agree that that should be the pick they take. Um, Honestly, their biggest question to me is solving the goaltending problem they have. Um, They could really use, and the problem is too, again, there's not a ton out there in free agent land. So solving that problem right now is going to be best solved through trade. And I think for me, this offseason, they move a guy like Ryan O'Reilly to try to solve that, that problem at either on D or, you know, more specifically, maybe in that.
0: So you think that Ryan O'Reilly is a guy that they're going to target to move?
1: Yeah, I believe so. And I think, you know, you you look at not necessarily his attitude, but his reflection of the culture that is Buffalo right now. Um, It's definitely not about winning. And I think for a guy who is probably one of the best in the league when it comes to two-way play and face-offs, he's still more than capable of putting up 60 points a season. Um, He's not going to be necessarily a team's go-to for a number one center, but he's going to be more than adequate for a number two spot. And I think at seven and a half million, it's still a manageable cap it for maybe a team that's kind of in rebuilding mode who has a little bit of cap space to, uh, to spare. And I think, um, you know, maybe they, you know, can spare if they have a goaltender or a defenseman to spare, like for instance, uh, a team like Carolina, they have depth in defense and they can definitely spare that. And a guy like Ryan O'Reilly, I think could fit in pretty nice in that number two center spot. Yeah,
0: that's a good point. And he, I mean, he's 27. He still has five years left on his deal. So that's, that's a pretty good deal in the sense that it expires when he's 32, which is about when you'd expect a guy like Ryan O'Reilly to, to be at the tail, you know, start dipping at that point, no longer worth his, his, uh, his contract. And so, yeah, no Carolina. I mean, anytime we're talking defense needs, we're looking at Carolina because we're all going, dude, when are you going to unload? And, you know, you've got six good defensemen. When are you going to send one of them away so that you can actually acquire a forward? As we know, they came out and they said, "Uh, Sebastian Ajo is the only player that's untouchable. And 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 my guess is their first, first round pick last year is probably as well.
1: Right. And I I think too, you know, they got, um, you know, Justin Falk, who is, you know, half the time they're capped and he's coming up on a contract year. So this is the, if you think he is not in your long-term plan, this is the perfect time to move a guy like that. Cause he will give you a good return.
0: Yeah. But he's, I mean, he's not going to Buffalo. That that's not the kind of defenseman that Buffalo would be looking at acquire, right? No, like we're, no, we're thinking more along the lines of like a Hannah Finn or a Brent Pesky. Uh, one of those guys. And, and I mean, Hey, if, if everybody is, uh, is touchable, then, you know, we've got to be looking at every defense option. So, uh, I do think there's, there's some contracts on this team that look really bad right now, but I don't think they're going to panic with Kyle Poso. I think that he's much more valuable trying to see if he can figure out his game again. Uh, I see, I wonder about Ryan O'Reilly because he's such a good face off guy. He's he just plays the right way to me. And I wouldn't want to give him up because as soon as you lose that center position, then Jack Eichel is on his own. I mean at right. this at this point, I think that some of Eichel's success has definitely come because he's been able to, you know, teams go, well, we'll play, yeah, we're gonna mainly focus on Eichel, but we can't forget about Ryan O'Reilly. It's uh, it, it'll change having Rasmus Dahlin having a, a defenseman who can move the puck the way that Dahlin can, and another guy that you're going to have to keep an eye on. I mean, you look at the way that—not saying that he's necessarily going to be Eric Carlson, but you look at the way a defenseman like Carlson, like Dowdy, uh, like like a like a Victor Hedman causes teams to shift their focus from focusing on forwards to the defenseman, which I think you're seeing. In that uh, in the Tampa Bay Washington series, I think that you're almost less worried about Stamkos and you're more worried about keeping your players, certain guys away from Hedman, away from McDonough, right. if you can. And so which is a difficult task in, in that series, uh, but and against Tampa. But I think that Ryan O'Reilly is an important part of this team. I wouldn't want to let him go. Because I think that you're, you know, you add Dolan. If you're able to acquire a couple free agents, maybe make one trade. I, to me, I think that Sam Reinhart's your guy to make a move. Uh, because Interesting. Because he, second overall pick, he's still young. He's 22. He's an RFA. And so I, I, to me, I'm going, I think I can get more value out of Reinhart than I could Ryan O'Reilly because Ryan O'Reilly now we know okay he's struggling right he's mentally he's struggling so teams are going to go well yeah we'll take him off your hands for you right like he doesn't <laughs> even want to be there i mean that's that's going to be the going the going line and Ryan O'Reilly has had issues in the past remember in Colorado he you know he had some issues there and that's why he was ultimately traded to Buffalo i think that's where you can take a younger guy like Sam Reinhart and you can package him for a defenseman and and that to me solves your problems a little a little easier also he's a he's mainly a winger so you can replace that winger uh, much more easily than you can orion o'reilly and adding casey middlestat who played at the end of the year him coming in and and having a full rookie season he you know maybe he plays with jack eichel and he immediately improves the that wing position uh and to me is an upgrade ultimately over Sam Reinhart. once this team starts winning. So I think that you can still package you can get something good for for Reinhardt especially since he has the pedigree of that second overall pick. People are still going to believe in him.
1: Interesting. Okay. I think uh I think you make some good points and you know maybe being on RFA, do we potentially see a, a sign and trade with a team, maybe saying, "Hey, let's get them locked up for eight years at a, maybe a discount"?
0: Yeah, it's it's possible. I, I mean, truly, we've never seen a sign and trade before. Uh, so, does it start with Reinhardt? Probably not. But uh, <laughs> yeah. don't forget, Reinhardt did have his best season of his career. He had fifty points, he had twenty-five goals, both uh, both career highs. And so, I mean, you, you got to figure that he's at least on the rise. He may not end up, it doesn't, it doesn't look like he's going to end up being, you know, like other second overall picks that we've seen in the past. I mean, he's, he's not Jack Eichel of course, but I mean, even if he can end up being a solid top six forward who gets you between 50 and 60 points every year for the next five, six years, that's perfect. Like that, that's, I mean, it's not what you wanted out of your second overall pick, but it's, it's much better than a bust.
1: Yeah. No, I, I won't disagree. I think that's right in line where I see this guy being. And uh, I'm sure most teams probably are right around that too. So,
0: Okay. And, and as far as uh, Rasmus rests the line in, I know a lot of people have been saying, well, they're going to get in Dolan so they can move him now. Um, he's the last player I want to move on this team. I, I'm, I'm not going to trade away a defenseman when my weakness is defense. Rasmus Dahlin is not a number one defenseman, and should not be played as such. But when you have no other choice, you have no other choice. Uh, with Dahlin coming in, he will balance that out slightly. Uh, there's still a lot of holes here, and you're gonna have to see who they're able to end up with in free agency, defensive wise. Because really, I mean, they're when you're talking, they lose Josh Georges, and so they're down to Line and Bogosian, Scandella, Boulay. I mean, Dolan, obviously, and then uh, like a uh, Jake McCabe, Victor Antipin, just and Justin Falk's gone too. So uh, they they've got some some holes to fill defensively, which they definitely have the cap space to do so. They've, they've got almost they've got over twenty million dollars in cap space coming into next year, and not a whole lot of guys off the books. So they they should be able to to make a a significant move, and uh, the way Terry Pagula, their owner is willing to spend money, I would expect that they'll probably make a pretty big dip. I would love, honestly, I mean, I'd hate, as a as a Leafs fan, I don't want to see Buffalo play well, although <laughs> it doesn't really matter because we lose to them anyways. But, oh, I mean, yeah. <laughs> imagine John Carlson just getting a fat deal in Buffalo. Wow. And how much that would change that franchise with John Carlson.
1: That would definitely help, and I think... I think, you know, uh, don't get me wrong. I think Bogosian being healthy is definitely going to be an upgrade on defense for this team because he only played 18, 18 games with it last year. I think having him year-round will be good for, you know, maybe number four or five defensemen. But, yeah, you're not kidding, man. If they can, they can land a big free agent like Carlson to just play with uh, Darlene, that would be incredible.
0: Absolutely. And, hey, who's, who's going to be like, nah, I don't want to play with that guy. <laughs> I'm, not, I'm right. not into that. <laughs> Uh, Okay, well, let's uh, let's move on from the Sabres and let's go to the second overall pick, which really 11th overall. But they win one of the draft lottery picks. The Carolina Hurricanes, their new owner, gets a nice little prize. He will pick second overall, most likely going to take Shvetsnikov. And I know in a previous show, I promised you why I, I I would tell you why Shvetsnikov should go over Dahlin and be picked first overall uh, I'm not going to do that in this show but it is coming in in one of our draft shows uh later in June don't don't you worry but for our for all intents and purposes we're just going to say Svetsnikov is going second overall to the Carolina Hurricanes and uh, they are getting one of the most prolific junior scorers of all time uh in terms of Uh, Goals per 60, points per 60. He's been phenomenal right up there with Sidney Crosby. And not that I'm trying to say he's going to be as good as Sidney Crosby, but he's going to be darn good and maybe is the most underrated second overall pick over the last 10 years. So uh, Carolina about to get a great forward, which they desperately need. That's been their weakness. Um, A very interesting comment from Rod Brindamore that I want to throw your way. Uh, Rod Brindamore, the Carolina Hurricanes new coach. Uh, after Bill Peters decided to leave and now is Calgary's coach. Uh, but Rod Brindamore, he's been the assistant coach in Carolina. He said, you know, we we want to get certain things out of certain players. And our goal with Jordan Stahl, we believe that he can be Patrice Bergeron. Thoughts on that
1: statement? Wow. I think I think you're shooting a little high. <laughs> I mean, don't get me wrong, he's he's a talented center and a good two way forward. But, you know, I think when he was with Pittsburgh, there were kind of flashes of this guy could really be, I don't know. I don't, don't want to say a number one guy like Bergeron, but he could potentially be maybe more like a, uh, a Ryan Kessler, you know, in that second line spot. I mean, I mean, Hey, he
0: he had, he had 50 points in 62 games in 2011, 12. Right. And then, and then 31 points in that lockout year in 48 games. So, I mean he he's been good. It's just then he's had some other year like the last basically the last five years he's he's had a about an average of forty points per forty five points a year.
1: Yeah. I oh boy, that's that's shooting for the moon for me. And uh, you know, Bergeron's one of those types of players that I don't want to call him like a generational player, but he's something special that his game is so different from a lot of other players around the league where he has that special two-way ability and still an offensive touch that many players don't possess. And I think, uh, you know, it's almost like saying, you know, like we're going to get another, uh, you know, Sidney Crosby running around here. Not necessarily that, you know, Jordan Stahl's type of player like Sidney Crosby, but you know, when you're looking at a guy like, for instance, uh, like if maybe he had come out and said, Oh, Sebastian Ajo, we're looking at him to be the next Sidney Crosby. It's like, no, no, no. Slow down, pump the brakes. Let's let's rethink what you just said.
0: Sure. Yeah. It's uh it is funny to me that you'd say, no, the only guy that's untouchable is Sebastian Ajo. I mean, I, I like Sebastian Aho. I, I think I think he's a, a real good player and, and he fits very nicely with the the way the NHL is going. Mm-hmm. I mean sixty-five points in seventy-eight games is, is great. And and he's uh, I don't know if you've you've tracked the him in the World Cup. Or not the World Cup. I'm sorry, the uh, World Championships. Champions. Yeah. He's got 18 points in eight games. Yeah.
1: So he and Vinan are just playing unreal together.
0: Yeah. Yeah. So I mean, I think you are looking at a guy who is very good. Now to say that he's untouchable, uh, I, I never believe that. Do you? Like, I, I just there's there's only a few players to me that are completely untouchable. Connor McDavid is untouchable mm-hmm. uh sydney crosby's untouchable and i would say that that's about it maybe austin matthews is untouchable but i i don't even know if i believe that
1: <laughs> no i yeah there's I'm, I'm a little bit more loose with the word untouchable than than you might be i might throw in guys like uh you know drew dowdy in that conversation maybe yeah even, but
0: dowdy's a free agent after this year he's definitely not untouchable well i way.
1: mean okay so when you get into that contract year, yeah, I think you know all bets are off at that point if you don't have him signed. Because believe me, if you're the general manager of the LA Kings, you're thinking we're not losing this guy for nothing. Like if you think he's not coming back, you got to get rid of him right. at some point. But but that's a whole other topic for another day. Um, yeah, but moving back to to Aho being the only untouchable on this team, I think one, like you said, calling him an untouchable is a little difficult to to really put it. I mean. Put words on that because with with a team that expectations I think were a little bit higher this season than they have been in a while, um, at least since Eric Stalls played there. I, I can say that.
0: Um, yeah, definitely. I think they were everybody's. Oh, this team's going to make it to the playoffs for the first time yeah. in a while. Like they were the underdog, like diamond in the rough kind of pick. And and I mean, seemingly all their underlying stats pointed to this team being a playoff team, and they again didn't get the goaltending which has been a problem there for years. Cam Ward actually is a free agent at the end of yeah. this year. I, I don't think that Scott, Di- Scott Darling is going to be able to be moved. So you're going to have to try and bring in a one, a one B, see if Darling can't get his game back and, you know, f- try and figure that out. But they, they have a ton of cap space. They have over 27 million in cap space. And that's without the adjusted cap. Uh, really, I mean, they, they need to resign Elias Lindholm. uh, and, and, I mean, a player like Hannafin, Dahlback, Van Riemsdyk, Tre- Trevor, the the bro. Uh, mm-hmm. But and they're they're doing just fine. I mean, they've got Pesky locked up, Slavin locked up. Falk has two more years left on his deal. So, I mean, this this team, for the most part, a lot of their players are locked up for a long time. It's just a matter of adding pieces around them so that they can actually, the, you know, and, and maybe adding a couple core pieces, which Shvetsnikov is going to become their core piece, in my opinion.
1: Yeah. No, I don't. I don't doubt that at all. I think, um, you know, finding uh, a top center for them should be a priority, though. Let's be honest. This offseason, there's only one top center that comes to mind that you think you could build around with does for years to come. And that's John Tavares.
0: Well, and John Tavares is not going to Carolina. I'll to no. tell you that
1: <laughs> No, it's uh, towards
0: the bottom know. of the list. I, I don't think Carolina would even give him the money that he needed. Which, which I, I don't, I don't think they're in the position to acquire a John Tavares. They don't, they don't need a John Tavares right now. Um, although no, they could I, use one. <laughs> I guess, right. I guess no team's going to turn him down. I mean, that's why you hear teams like Toronto going, "Oh, we'd be interested in John Tavares," which Toronto seems to have quite a bit of center depth. But John, it's John Tavares, so anytime you can add a superstar, any team would. Uh, ultimately, I think this team adds Svetsnikov if they can make a move. Maybe if they can trade Hayden Fleury or Jake Bean, one of those two, uh, and, and not have to really disrupt their roster a lot. I, I think that may be more ideal. And so I, I think you may see that a, a team... Like a Buffalo who needs to acquire some more defense. Uh, You've got Arizona who could really use some younger defensemen. Uh, The Red Wings who desperately need defense. Uh, I think there's a lot of takers. And so I think you could find teams that willing to take your really young guys that you don't have to worry about developing and be able to acquire some picks, some forwards, and and be able to build around that. And they'll, they'll have plenty of takers. Hopefully it finally happens. Hopefully the Carolina Hurricanes finally deal one of their defensemen and start building towards something because it just seems like they've been sitting still for over a year.
1: Yeah, I think th- this offseason, too, for me, the other big move I think they really need to focus on is going out and finding a goaltender that's going to push Scott Darling. Um, now, free agent-wise, that might not be there. And so How maybe about you- Kari Lettman? Is he good? Yeah. I, I <laughs>
0: <laughs> that was a, no, that was no, me that's... being sarcastic. Actually, he, it, he actually, I mean, he had a nine one one save percentage. It's not horrific.
1: No, He's not bad, but I awful. I
0: think, it's the uh, best save I, percentage besides Bernier and free agent Colton. Oh God, and uh, Carter Hutton, I believe, was also a yeah. free agent.
1: Now, one scenario in my mind that you know you and I have talked a little bit about this guy in previous shows. Um, you know, with a team like Washington, for example, that's getting ready to probably lose John Carlson, the free agency, this would be a great opportunity for them to maybe deal a guy like Philip Grubauer to a team like Carolina, who has a plethora of defensemen willing to move. Yeah,
0: why not try another backup goalie as a starting goalie? See what happens. <laughs> Eddie Lack to Scott Darling to Philip Grubauer, all of which had great numbers as backups. We'll We'll see we'll see what happens. <laughs> Every now and then it works. Martin Jones became the starter, you know, obviously we know in uh in San Jose from from LA and it worked out. Cam Talbot, it worked for 1 year. The second year was garbage, so that still remains to be seen. Uh it's it's weird how, you know, once you're a backup goalie, it doesn't it's very hard. You would think that the natural grooming process is, all right, you're a starting goalie in the minors for a little while and you come up and you're a backup goalie and then you prove yourself and then you're given the starting job and away you go. It seems like when those backup goalies are traded, it's, it's more likely that they're going to fail than they are going to succeed. Whereas when the team goes, all right, we'll trade our starting goalie. We're keeping this guy. It it always, almost always ends up being a good decision. Um, I guess the one where you could say both made out was, uh, well for Corey Schneider, Roberto Luongo, you could take either one. And then Frederick Anderson and John Gibson, it worked out well for both those teams.
1: Yeah. Um, here's another name for you. What about a guy like, uh, Jonathan Bernier who has had that starters workload and, we've seen he's succeeded very well when having to thrive and especially on a team like not necessarily a great defensive team like Colorado where, uh, you know, he's had to maybe take a few more pucks than most other goaltenders around the league.
0: Yeah. I always liked Bernier when he was in Toronto and uh, I, I, you know, i it would be great to see him succeed somewhere. And that, you're right. That would, that would be a great fit to have two, one B goalies and see which one takes the A, you know, See which yeah. one ends up wanting to be the guy who's going to start 55, 60 games. And maybe both these guys, maybe, you know, there's just goalies that are meant to start 30 or 40 games a year. And they're just not really meant to start all, you know, up in the 60s. And and that should just be okay. I mean, if you're going to pay a couple guys three to four million, that's fine. Or you could pay one guy 10, yeah, <laughs> like the Montreal Canadiens. Um, oh, and he boy. can be hurt all year. <laughs> um okay let's let's move on to the number three pick and and when this is gonna be our last team uh we we spent a little more time than we thought so that's that's fine we'll just do four through six on our uh on our next show and we'll just go through a little slower which i have no problem with i'm enjoying uh just doing a little deep dive into each of these teams so we'll we'll do the Montreal Canadiens and then uh and then that'll be that so montreal canadians they have the number three overall pick they also have four picks in the second round. They have number 35, which is their own. They have number 38 and they have uh, they have number 56 and number 58. That's the Leafs and the Capitals. On the 59. Table. 59? Is it 59? Yeah. 59. Okay, 59 it is. Uh, <laughs> what I'm what i sitting here reading says 58. So yes, you're right. Oh, 59. Well, uh, not
1: says
0: 59, so whatever. Uh, you know what it is? It's because the
1: it hasn't, it's it's, it's
0: not necessarily completely, uh, oh, probably when I looked this up, when, it, when I had it pulled up, because I have a previous article that I wrote where I was looking at it, it's because ah. it, it was in the second round, so it was, it was still in a certain spot. But yes, once you're in the conference finals, you move to the bottom four. So uh, it, that could still end up being later. It's obviously not fully decided. But anyways, uh, okay, so the Canadians have those picks. Lots of picks in the second. They have their own pick in the third round. And, uh, and then in the fourth round, they have three picks as well. So Montreal with a lot of picks in the first four rounds. They have nine picks in the first four rounds. That's pretty good. They've wow. got their own and, and the Oilers and Winnipeg in the fourth round. So Montreal definitely, my guess is that they are looking to package some of those picks for players. Uh, they have about $13 million in cap space. That's without the adjusted cap. And rumor is Shea Weber is possibly on the table, looking to move him, potentially. Uh, and then, obviously, we know Carey Price's deal kicks in. Ante Niemi's a free agent. At the end of the year, they're going to need a backup goalie as well. Just, I mean, inconsequentially, Alish Hemsky is a free agent. He'll be gone. Uh, they do have to re sign a Philip Deneau. Uh, you know, a, a, that's that's about it as far as their main free agents. I'd say Philip Deneau. Yeah. And uh, maybe Jacob, Jacob Delarose to a lesser extent, but uh, this team doesn't have a whole lot of players leaving, but there is a whole lot of balls up in the air. Max Pacioretty has one year left on a $4.5 million uh, cap hit deal. He's a free agent at the end of that. So, you know, what does this team need to do?
1: I honestly, I, this team more than I think even Buffalo and more so than even Carolina needs to find a number one center to play with Druin because I think Druin, while he did okay thrust into that number one center position and by okay, I mean, he did the best that he could. Um, he, he's definitely not a number one center and I don't think he ever will be. Um, he's definitely more suited for the wing and I think that's where he needs to be. He'll thrive a lot more in that position. And I think for Montreal to really get the best possible return from that surrogate trade, they need to find a center to play with Druin.
0: Yeah, and i I think that they need to they need to use this third overall pick, which they will. They'll use it on a forward, uh, which which they desperately need. Uh, whether they go the route of a a Brady to Chuck, uh, I'm, I'm off the top of my head. I'm I'm blanking on a, on other guys right here at the top. Oh, Zadina. Yes, Zadina. There the you Zadina. go. Yeah. So it just depends yeah. on the type of player that they want. I ultimately, I think they probably go Zadina, but uh Montreal is a team that to me has no identity when i when I look at them it, it, when you look at Montreal five years ago, you went okay they're this team they're a little smaller they they really try to they they use their speed they've got some grit some speed some personality to them, and carry price is unreal now they're They've they've kind of filled in some of their holes as far as size wise goes with guys like an Andrew Shaw. I mean, Jonathan is not big, but it's not like he's a small a small forward. You know, it's not like they've got guys like Placanix at their number one center position, uh, or right. Gianta or you know these these guys that left left a couple of years ago. So I, I I think now they've kind of solved that, but it's almost like they've gone the opposite way with guys like. Petrie and Alsner and, and, and Jordy Ben, guys that aren't really that fast. And so right. now they're a little bit slow. They also don't, to me, there's just Jonathan Drouin. I don't know who he is. I don't, to me, there's not much personality there. I don't know. It just, it feels like this team is really missing something where I go, yes, this is the kind of team that Montreal
1: is. No, I I definitely would not disagree with you in the least, and I think you know, even you talked about Alsner, Ben, and, you know, now Shea Weber, he looks like he's just slowing down tremendously. And, uh, you know, now you got to think too, at his age, his size with the injury bug he's been having lately, it's, you know, what kind of guy are you going to get that when he returns next season? You know, is he going to slow down even more because it was a foot injury. So, and a significant one at that. So, you know, what kind of effectiveness are you going to get out of a guy like that? You know, he can still shoot the puck. He can still, you know, dish it out pretty decently, but uh, for a league that's getting faster, it seems like Montreal's back end is just getting slower. And they have nobody in the pipeline. And, you know, like you said, to me, their their identity right now is Carey Price. And that's it. You know, they're not known as a, a fast team or, or or a team that's going to bruise you. To me, they, you know, this offseason, I think, like I said, the priority is finding a center. I think, uh, you know, moving back to is going to be, you know, high on the list. Teams are going to come calling and I think this is the time now where um, you know, while Terry Price is still in his prime to try to to move some pieces out and retool on the fly here and try to see if you can't get an identity on the, just super quick.
0: Yeah, I uh, I did actually write an article about Paccheretti to the Panthers because that's, you know, where the it actually was rumored during the trade deadline and there's there's still been a lot of chatter about him to the Panthers and mm-hmm. I mean I, I mean, I could see Florida. To me, a guy like Nick Bukestad would be a great fit in Montreal. Uh, if you have patch Reddy going the other way, Bukestad coming in, he can solidify their center position in the sense that it won't be all on one guy. They won't have one guy who's great at center, but they'll have three guys that can play, and, and you can use them in the correct situations that you need to. Bukestad's a big guy. He doesn't necessarily play big, but... He does use his body to create offense. He had his best offensive year this year. And uh, then you would throw in a guy like, I mean, if you could wrangle up a Henrik Borgstrom from Florida, or or you're talking maybe their first-round pick this year. Wow. I, I mean, a fifth, 15th overall pick along with a Bukestad, enough to get Patcheretti. And, and I, ma- maybe if you were to send, I don't know, like Adam Massarin, a guy who has said he won't sign with Florida and would rather just re-enter the draft. If you could make this trade in advance, trade master into Montreal and Montreal signs him before the deadline and is able to uh, get a guy who was a second round pick two years ago. I mean, that would be a way to fill the cupboards really quick, which, yeah, which I think I, that's what you need to do with patch You're not going to get a guy at his level, but if you can right. get some nice pieces some pieces that that may ultimately be very good for you down the road in two or three years, and maybe a guy like Bugstad who can fill some holes now is signed to a relatively affordable contract, uh, maybe a little overpaid for where he'd play in the lineup, but Montreal can afford it, and they're they're not really cap strapped cap strapped uh, <laughs> with Scratched. getting rid of uh, Patcheri as well. So I think there's there's a lot of Good that could come. I, I think that Florida is a great trade partner with Montreal, and I I really I do think that we'll see ultimately see a deal with Florida between Montreal because, because just based on both teams' needs and uh, where those teams are going.
1: Yeah, I really really like that Bukestad uh, trade scenario there for both teams. I think it it would work out really great for both Florida and Montreal. One, if you're Montreal, you get a guy who could potentially be. You know, not necessarily he's going to be that number one type defense or center, but you can throw him in there number one on your first line and put Druin on the wing if you want or leave Druin at center maybe on your second line. Um, it gives you a little bit, gives you more options. And and I think for a team like Florida on the other end, you get a, a good scoring winger, power forward type like Petrietti. And, you know, if you want to set him on your second line with Dandanoff and, and McCann or if you want to throw him up on your top line with Barkov, he has the ability to play with both types of players.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And and I mean, as for uh for a team like Florida, it's not like they don't have a, a depth at center that other teams would envy. I mean, with Barkov, you've got Trocheck, and you've got Borgstrom coming up through, you've got mm-hmm. Alexi Hepaniemi and and he's I mean, he's just ripping up the uh the WHL right now. He had 118 points in 57 games, unreal. And, and in the playoffs, he's got 30 points in these uh, in these playoffs, headed to the Memorial Cup. So his team won the uh, WHL championship. So I, they, they've got some good players. Not to mention an Owen Tippett on the wing. I mean, they've got some guys who can come in and uh, and ultimately fill those those other spots where Bukestad has played a lot of the wing too, because they have so mm-hmm. much depth at center. So I think he's an easy piece to move out. Sure. Um, Well, anything else to add about Montreal other than the fact that their defense is slow as dirt?
1: (laughs) Well, I think, uh, you know, they're going to have some options at free agency. Um, My big question, you know, everybody, I keep hearing time and time again about John Tavares. And to be quite honest, I'm, I'm kind of tired of it because I don't think he's going there at all. Um, You know, but I think, they're, like you said, there's a lot of good options out there for them. I think Bukestad makes the most sense to me and you. And um, ultimately, I think, too, uh, it's not going to surprise me if I see Niemi back as a backup here.
0: Uh, he played well. Played well yeah. for them at the end there. So, yeah, after we made fun of him all early beginning <laughs> right. of the season because he played so bad, uh, he managed to to wrestle it in there a little bit. So, uh, yeah, all, I think if Montreal see, the Claude Julien – hiring was strange because i i guess when they hired them they thought they were good i mean we thought they'd make the playoffs or at least be in very much in contention for the playoffs this year i think we both had them in our top three in the division and remember yeah. back in the beginning of the year this was a good team we all thought they were a good team and so i i gotta think that this team is better than what they showed at the end of the year but maybe not a playoff team. And I, I don't know if this team is a playoff team this next year. And so if that's the case, I, I think you need to do more than just, oh, let's move or Eddie and try to, try to keep winning. I mean, if they move Patcher and then they were able to find a taker for Weber, then that would really hit the reset button to me. And, and that, that would really change things. To me, Weber's more valuable there. And mm-hmm. it's, he's more valuable trying to find his game. See, see yeah. if you can just put him into a different, a different position, maybe take a little bit of the load off and, uh, and see what you can do for him there.
1: So. Yeah, absolutely. And let me ask you this question too, because, um, you know, with Montreal's just dire need for a number one center, do you think, you know, this off season, maybe they go out and they overpay for a guy like Paul Stastny to come in and play with Jonathan Druin?
0: You know, Mark Bergerman trying to save his job. I, I, I wouldn't with when it comes to teams like Montreal and Toronto uh, teams that have a lot of, and the Rangers are one of those teams Uh, I'd put Chicago on this list. If they weren't so cap strapped there, I got the word, right? Uh, There you go. Teams that just always seem to attract free agents and Mm -hmm. can find a way to work it in. Uh, I I think anything's possible in Montreal. They're going to try and be a team, be in the playoffs again next year. Uh, This doesn't, Seem to me to be a team that just willingly breaks it all down. Uh, they're just a team that unwillingly ends up finishing in the bottom five every five years or so. It's weird. All right. <laughs> well, okay. That has been our show. We'll do uh, picks six through, uh, no, not six through four through six, which will be Ottawa, Arizona, and Detroit. So get your uh, get your Red Wings hat on, Justin, and we'll uh, we'll be prepared to to uh, do those three teams on our next show
1: whole show just of Detroit.
0: That's true. We, you know, we could, we could definitely do that. We probably will eventually do that too. So, uh, but you can hit us up on Twitter at OT hockey talk and we will be here on Monday. So check us back then. Have a great weekend and we'll talk to you soon.